So we're on week two of Good and Beautiful Life, and what we've been talking about is the idea that what, what would happen to your life if all of a sudden God could, took control of it, right? Like, what would happen? <clears throat> How would your life change? What, 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 what would happen if we actually let God um, be God? And so uh, that's the whole idea of this good and beautiful life. Um, this week, I've been asking people, what do they think about when they think about evangelism? And, uh, uh, and so I've been asking Christians who are, you know, who've been Christians for a long time and Christians who haven't uh, been Christians for a long time. And like, even, even for some of you, when Bob uh, talked about taking these bags around, the thought of approaching somebody's front door with something in your hand was just frightening to you. You just thought, like, I- I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I can't. I can't do that. Well, let me just assure you that this has nothing to do with that. Uh, It's actually a lot of fun. I'm like you. I don't like really approaching people out of the blue uh, and talking to them. But I had a lot of fun distributing the bags when I did it. And so I'd I'd encourage you to do that on Saturday. Because really what's the funnest part is the next week it's like an Easter egg hunt. Because we go back to collect the bags. And they're at the end of each person's driveway. And when you're driving, it's like, there's one, there's one. And it's really cool. But... Um, but, but the thought of like approaching someone. And so a, a, as I was talking to people about evangelism, these are some of the words I heard. Uh, frightening. <laughs> okay. Now I don't know if you can, some of you have the gift of evangelism and you're scratching your head going, I don't see why that would be frightening. Well, that's why it's a gift. Okay. And so uh, other, other people, it feels uh, like sales to me. I feel like I'm selling something. Um, I talked to one person who's been a Christian for about 25 years, uh, even longer, probably 30 years, and they said, um, I feel guilty. And most of that comes from probably a sermon they heard or something they heard where the pastor or the evangelist who has the gift of evangelism, for, so for them it's easy. Um, it, 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 it's this idea of if, if, you, if everybody would lead someone to Christ uh, each year, just one person, um, in five years, the whole world would be evangelized. And then we all sit there and we're like, ah, oh, I'm such a failure. And they're like, you know, why? if you're ashamed of Jesus, he's going to be ashamed of you. And you're like, oh, he is ashamed of me, and I'm ashamed of me. Like, it's this sense of just this overwhelming sense of, oh, evan- evangelism. Like, 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 in evangelism, you have to tell someone that they're going to hell, which isn't really that acceptable in a typical water cooler conversation, you know. It's like, how did the game go on Saturday? It went great. Oh, and by the way, you know you're going to hell, right? Like, but, but I've got this great news, right? That's what evangelism is. We share the gospel, the good news. And the good news is this. You were going to hell, but God made a way for you to go to heaven. And that's the good news. It's like, you got a life sentence. You're going to spend, you were going to spend the rest of your life in prison. But instead, you get to spend the rest of your life at hometown buffet. Right? Because I don't know if you feel the same way I do about heaven. It's like the way it's described. If I didn't understand what it was like to have a relationship with Jesus. And someone would say something about heaven. Heaven doesn't sound that exciting just on the face of it, like streets paved with gold, and I get a mansion, and then I get to eat at a banquet for all of eternity. And so, for somebody, the good news of heaven is really just avoiding hell. Now, 
For most Christians, evangelism, because it feels frightening and because it feels kind of guilty and because it is about heaven and hell and all this kind of stuff, it's hard to find the good news in that. It's hard to kind of, it doesn't sound like good news. Now, what if this? What if evangelism was merely just the display of the radical work of Jesus in your life? What if it wasn't apologetics? What if it wasn't trying to convince somebody of something? What if evangelism was just the fullness of Christ in our lives to such an extent that we can't help but talk about it for what Christ has done in us? See, when Jesus came on the scene, uh, he did talk about heaven and hell, and those things are real. And the kingdom of God, uh, eternity with God, as far as heaven, the reason sometimes for some people it sounds uh, not as appealing is because um, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around what it would really be like to be in the presence of God for all of eternity. But here's what I've noticed in my life. I think the reason why this is difficult to wrap our head around is because we're not experiencing the fullness of Christ in our lives right now. And so it's hard for us to make this jump from now to eternity. And this is why the good and beautiful life, what we're talking about, is the idea that heaven begins now. That a life with God begins now. That transformation and fullness of joy begins now. That, that evangelism, yes, the part of it of accepting Christ as your personal Savior, that is absolutely a part of it, and I'm not putting that down or anything. But what I'm trying to say is imagine a people that had so much of the presence of God in their lives that it radically transformed every decision they ever made. And as we continue in this series, and this is why we set up the first two weeks as an intro, is so that we can invite and get as many people as we can on this journey with us as we go into the next eight chapters of this book of what does it really mean to have a life without anger? Like, like what, what would a life without anger actually look like? Well, what would a life without lying be like? And I'm not talking about just lying like, like you're telling bold-faced lies, but that feeling of like, if I don't manipulate this a little bit, people are going to think a certain way about me, or I might not get what I deserve, and so I'm just going to bend and manipulate the truth a little bit. What, what, what would it be to have, seriously, think about this. What would it be to have a life without anxiety, where you're not, stressing out about your kids' grades all the time, or you're not stressing out about how to make rent, or you're not stressing out about that. What, what would that be like? See, for me, personally, I think that's why Jesus came. Jesus said this. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. That you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've come that your joy may be full. Now, yes, he came to save us. He died on the cross for our sins. That is a definitely a part of it. And that is, that is a part of evangelism. There is an eternal after death life. But there's also an eternal life now. We say when people die, he went to a better place. I'm telling you that in Christ, this can be a better place. And so 
uh, what we talked about last week is that Jesus came, and this was, this was his first words, repent, for the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, for some of us, we think repent, and we think, oh, man, I, I have to feel sorry for all my sins. That is a part of it. Absolutely. But as we talked about last week, that word repent, that Greek word repent means to change your way of thinking. And so we talked about this, and it says this, change the way you've been thinking. A life of intimacy and interaction with God is now in your midst. It's a little different than just feel sorry for everything. Because the kingdom of God is here and he is ready to just, if you don't say you're sorry, bam, he's going to get you. So repent. Now change the way you think. A life with intimacy, a life of intimacy with God is right, right here, found in Christ. So we've been saying this. The whole point of this whole series is this. Allowing God to be God in everything. Allowing God to be God in every area of our life. As a matter of fact, this is going over the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. You look at anger differently. You look at lying differently. You look at divorce differently. You, you become a different people. Now, here's the thing that happened when uh, Jesus came. Uh, uh, he, he, he talked about the kingdom over a hundred times. And here's what he said. When he said, when you pray, this is how I want you to pray. He says, um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus knew something about this because Jesus came from heaven. So now, just check this out. If you came from heaven, okay, like Jesus did, I would imagine that all Jesus would be thinking about is heaven. Like all Jesus would be saying is, look, just get through life. Life is the lobby <laughs> of eternity. You're just waiting around in the lobby, but wait till you see. But here's what Jesus prays. He says, Heavenly Father, let heaven come down here. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he taught us to pray. Life is not just waiting around to die so that we can be in a better place. Life is about sacrificing our fears, our hopes, our dreams, everything at the altar of Almighty God. And so he, he goes on. Now here's the, here's the ironic thing. The people of the time of Jesus wanted Jesus to take over the kingdom. But their idea was to get rid of the Romans. <clears throat> What they wanted from Jesus was a military coup. What they wanted from their Messiah was to finally get things back the way they were supposed to be. And here's the way they were supposed to be. God's people in God's land serving God. That was their idea of the kingdom. Now here's the irony of it. That is part of the kingdom. Like, we, we blame them for, oh, they didn't notice that it had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with that. It had all to do with Jesus dying for our sins. It absolutely had to do with that. About God reconciling a people to himself for earth, for here. I hope this is making sense. Because for some of us, this is a radical shift in thinking. It's repentance. It's changing the way we look at every single area of our life. Let me, let me give you an idea. Um, 
We, we think in terms of Jesus coming, and that kind of uh, nullifies the old way. The old way was this. Uh, God had a people. It was the nation of Israel. And those were a people that God gathered to himself. They were his people. And he gave them a land, and they were going to go and take possession of the land. And he would be their God, and they would be, their, uh, and they would be his people. And that's kind of how, how it would go. That was the kingdom. That was the kind of initial plan. I mean, the secondary plan, the initial plan was that we'd have the garden, and there wouldn't be any sin, and we'd, be, we'd all have jobs to do, and that would be it. But then when that happened, when that didn't work out, We have the second plan, the the people of God. Now listen, why did God give the people, the Israelites, the law? If you've been a Christian for a long time, one of your answers would be the law was given to show us that we can't live a perfect life, to show us we're sinners, to show us that we can't live with God, and so so we can't do it on our own, so that we'd be dependent on God for salvation, which means we get to go to heaven, and that is a little part of it. But you know what the Bible actually says of why the law was given? Let me read it to you. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'm sorry, chapter 4. And, 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 and Moses is talking to the people and he's giving them all these laws, all these things that they're supposed to do. And he says this. Uh, I'll read this first part and then we'll read the verse 6 together. He says, see, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. And in other words, I'm just telling you what God told me. Here they are. Okay, that's all he's saying. So that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. In other words, Moses is saying this. God's given me these laws. When you enter the land, when you enter your, your territory, do these things. That's the point of it. Now, why? You'd think the next thing would be, well, because now God's going to show you that you, you, you can't do it and so that you need a sacrifice. And so we'll set up the sacrificial system and that'll kind of show and it'll set up for Jesus who will be the lamb who sacrificed for our sins. All that's true, 100% true. But watch what Moses says. This is just fascinating to me. This is Old Testament people of Israel. He's talking about the laws and rules. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Okay, let me put it this way. Your ability to follow God's rule and reign is evangelism. Okay? The reason we've given you these laws, Moses and God say to the people, is that you would follow them and you would understand that to follow God's rules and regulations and laws is wisdom and understanding. And it's not just for you. Observe them carefully. This will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In other words, to the extent the nation of Israel could truly capture the idea that God is their king, it would have an amazing effect on the world around them. Yes, part of the law was to show that we are all sinners and that we can't do it and we need a sacrificial system. But from Moses' own mouth, as he's giving the laws and decrees, he says this, observe them carefully and show. Show how great God is. That's your evangelism. Okay? He goes on and because he says, surely this great nation, this is what the people, the nations will say. Wow. 
I don't necessarily believe what they believe, but you can't argue with their life. I don't necessarily want to be an Israelite, but I'd like to marry one. Like they, they're like, they got it going on. I'd like to do business with them. Their laws and decrees say that they should use just scales. I know that when I go to do business with somebody who's a follower of Almighty God, Yahweh, one of his people, I know that his scales or her scales are going to be just. Man, these are smart people. These are calm people. These are blessed people. So they say this, surely this great, na- uh, this great nation is wise, uh, is a wise and understanding people. And then Moses goes on to say like, well, this is essentially what he says in Hebrew. Well, duh, right? He says this, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord, our God, is near us whenever we pray to him? Like it's not even a competition. Like they have their gods, we have our God. They see how we live our life under the rule and reign of our God, and they're like, wow, that's pretty awesome. You're like, well, yeah, of course. We have a God that's near to us whenever we pray. Your God is just some tree or something, whatever you made, your idol. Your your God has no mouth, has no breath, has no heart. Our, Our God's amazing. Now, what happened to the people of Israel over and over and over and over and over again? The opposite. They went after other gods. They said, oh, your God is this giant stick up that sticks up in the air? That's pretty cool. Let me check out one of your gods. They wanted both. And here's what God is telling you and I and the nation of Israel and everyone from all eternity. You can't have both. Both doesn't work. What works best is allowing God to be God in every area of your life. Every single area. And so that was the whole, the whole idea uh, from the very beginning is that, that there would be um, th- this people who would understand that God is king and that the, to the extent his people can submit to his rule and reign and everything, it will be evangelism. Now, it doesn't, you guys are sophisticated people. You understand where I'm going with this. What if for us as a people, as a church, that became our evangelism. Was that no matter what, we were going to follow our king. We were going to make him king in every single area of our life. Now, what happens, at least what happens to me, is I want both. I want my own kingdom, my own rule, my own goals, my own achievements, my own uh, uh, pleasures, my own things. And then when that doesn't work, I sprinkle a little God on there. Like, hey, can you come fix this? Can you mop up this little mess? Can you go? It, it doesn't work that way. And so what ends up happening is that uh, our, this great adventure we're supposed to have, um, our lives begin to unravel. And, and we, we get stuck. And so here's what Jesus comes on the side. And this is what we're going to be seeing in all the rest of the chapters from here on out. It begins with, the Sermon on the Mount begins with uh, the Beatitudes. Now, the way we typically look at the Beatitudes is that they're a recipe or a roadmap 
um, to God. So in other words, you're sitting around and, and, and you want more of God. And so you read the beatitude that says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the way we typically read that is the poorer in spirit you can become, the more God will bless you. I, I don't believe that's the Beatitudes. I don't believe God is sitting there going, you know, until you become, I mean, I want you, the poorer you can become in spirit, then I'll, then I'll pay attention to you. What the Beatitudes are saying is this, when you're poor in spirit, you're blessed. Because the only way you're going to get out of that poverty is Jesus. The only way you're going to get out of the poverty of your... When you follow after other gods, follow after your own life, follow after your own stuff, your own hopes and dreams, you will find at the end of that road that you will be poor in spirit. That is the, the state you're going to be in. But the blessing is, the answer to that is Jesus. Here's the way he... he Jesus puts it at the end of chapter 6, if you're, if you're following the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about all these different things. He talks about, uh, um, about worry, a lot, a lot of stuff about worry. And we'll talk about that um, in about uh, six weeks. We're going to talk about living without anxiety. Um, but at the end of this whole thing about worry, and, and, and we'll talk about how to get rid of worry in our lives then, he, he, he basically has this recipe and it's a very famous section of scripture. You can memorize it very easily if you want. But it says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. In other words, to the extent you can make all of your focus on the kingdom of God, and all the kingdom of God is, is his rule and reign in your life. A kingdom is just where the king reigns, right? It's not that complicated. A kingdom is where the king has control. And so what the Bible is saying is, to the extent you can allow God to have control, those other things are not going to trip you up. You won't be worried about them to the extent that you're worried about them now. You're worried about retirement? Seek first the kingdom of God. That's going to work itself out. You're worried about your kids? Seek first the kingdom of God. It's going to work itself out. You're worried about your health? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Those other things are going to work themselves out. To the extent we can allow God to rule and reign. And what ends up happening is we leverage the uncertainty of life we take that uncertainty and we leverage it to our advantage to drive us closer to Jesus. And, and so all those things that are uncertain, college and retirement and your next job and your current job and your relationships, all those things, you take those and you leverage them and go, this is just another example of how this doesn't work, how following after those gods does not work. I'm going to leverage that uncertainty and it's going to drive me to my heavenly father. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness in my life. Now, that is a radical shift oftentimes. I mean, really, we can't just dismiss a lot of these things. Sometimes we lose a spouse. We don't just go, oh, oh, no worries. I'll just follow Jesus. That, that's a real thing. Sometimes our kids make decisions that are heartbreaking, that are going to go. We know when they made that decision, it's going to carry 
on them for the rest of their lives. These are big deals. And so we don't dismiss them and we don't pretend they didn't happen. We leverage it. We let those things drive us into our Heavenly Father. Lord, what would you have me do in this situation? How, how would you have me react to this? You just lose your job. That's a real big deal. <laughs> you have bills to pay, rent and car payments and food and all this kind of stuff. We leverage that uncertainty and we dr- drives us to our knees and we say, Lord God, how can I see your kingdom in this situation? We exchange grace and peace. You know what? It's interesting. Jesus was trying to get this point across, the kingdom of God. Like I said, he talked about a hundred times um, uh, throughout the Gospels, or it's mentioned a hundred times in the Gospels, and um, uh, some are the same stories because they're, they're the same stories written in four different perspectives. But um, he, he, he talks about this, and one of the ways he tries to talk about the kingdom Okay, now it's really cool because Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom, he does talk about salvation. He talks about uh, the one who sows is, is uh, the son of man and he sows the good seed and it goes into good soil. And those are people who, who hear the word and accept it. And they, 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 but but the, the fruit that comes out of that is 10, 60, 100 fold. But he, he also talks other things about the kingdom. He says this, he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a man who finds a treasure in a field. He's just, he's just walking along, doo, 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 you know, and all of a sudden he sees his treasure. And he looks over and it, there's like a for sale sign for the, for the field. And he's like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to mention anything about the treasure. I'm just going to go buy the field. And then when I buy the field, I get the treasure. And so he looks at the price of the, the field and he says, this is going to cost me everything I own. <laughs> like, this is going to cost me everything. I'm going to have to sell everything. I'm going to have to sell my kids' shoes. I'm going to have to sell every. I'm going to have to take everything I own, everything I could possibly get to get enough money to buy this field. And so he does it. He sells everything he could possibly get. He buys the field and returns with joy. Because... It's not really that much of a sacrifice when you consider the treasure. This is how Jesus describes the kingdom of God in our lives. He says it this way too. He says somebody loses a coin, right? And so they freak out over the coin and and they're trying to find the coin, trying to find the coin, trying to seek out to find the coin. And when they find it, they're joyful because they found the lost coin. This is what it's like to be the kingdom. This is why Jesus says seek first the kingdom. This word seek means seek in order to find. It's not just notice the kingdom. It's not just like you're driving around and you look and there's something nice over there. And you're like, isn't that nice? The kingdom of God. It's, I, in every situation of my life, I want to find the kingdom. I want to look around. God, what would you have me do in this situation? What are you, how are you working? What, what's going on? How would you have me respond to this? What do you want my speech patterns to be like? What do you want my thought patterns to be like? That I seek it out. I try to find it. I try to uncover it in things that don't make any sense. Times when healing, you want healing to come and it hasn't come. And it just seems to be test after test after test after test and it's exhausting. And Jesus is saying, try to, I know it's hard, but try to find the kingdom in that. So we leverage the uncertainty of our world for the kingdom. And so here's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves 
this way. <clears throat> poor in spirit. Matthew says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you get to the point where you're just like, look, I, 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 this is not working for me, this other world. The, 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 the kingdom, this, the culture, everything that's, that everyone tells me is important, it's not working. Oh, you're in a great spot right now. Because Jesus is the answer to that. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst at this point. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted by a real comforter. The Holy Spirit, by God Almighty, comforting. Blessed are the meek. Those who aren't just trying to force their way and go after it, they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, truly hunger and thirst for it because Jesus is the answer to that hunger and that thirst, that certainty. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. See, the, the Beatitudes are not a recipe for righteousness. They're inclusive. It, maybe, maybe you're not, you don't even believe in the Bible. You're just here for the first time, or you're, you're just trying to understand this whole, whole thing about God. But there's this aching in you that says, there, there's just got to be something more than the way I've lived my life. You're, you're in a blessed position right now. Because your eyes can be open to what Jesus would have for you. Not only salvation, not only heaven when you die. That is a definitely a part of it. When Christ died on the cross, he died for our sins, that they can be wiped away and that we can spend eternity with him. But, but even more so, how you approach work, how you approach dating, how you approach uh, your finances, all, all of that. You're in a blessed, a blessed spot. Here's what Paul says about, uh, uh, about the kingdom of God, because he, he talked to the, uh, the church in Rome. He said this, For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's just an easy way to say, it, it, it's not the stuff that's physical. That, I mean, we, we live in that world. But that's not the kingdom. I was going to show, um, uh, before it got started, this uh, video of, um, anyone see The Matrix? Um, so it, there's a scene in The Matrix um, where, the, the reason I didn't show it is because I, I just, I, Keanu Reeves is the worst actor in the history of the face of the earth. <laughs> and so just to watch him, like, he, they're, 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 he's trying to, you know, it's being explained to him, hey, you know, there's this other kingdom that, you know, it, it, he's trying to explain, you know, things aren't the way they seem. And, and it's just Keanu Reeves just kind of sitting there like, oh, you know. And, and it's like he's supposed to be the savior, and he just looks stupid. And I was like, nah. And so I threw it out. That was just the decision I made. Yeah, so too bad. I, I'm the pastor. It's what I do, okay? <laughs> My job is to disappoint you. So, you know. But there's this thing. It's called YouTube. And you can go home and look at it whenever you want. Um, but th that's the whole thing. It's like, it's like he has this, you have this choice, this red pill and this blue pill and all this kind of stuff. And he's trying. And one of the scenes in The Matrix is where this guy who already knew that everything's fake makes this deal. And he's like, you know what? He's sitting, he, he's at this table and he's got this steak. And he's like, I know this steak 
isn't real. Like, but I just want to go back to, I just want to taste the steak. I don't, I, I want to give up the, uh, the real world. And this is the dilemma we have all the time in our lives. We say, I know that Jesus cares for me, but for right now, I just want to follow after this relationship. Like, I know, I know that. But here's the thing, that just ends poorly. But when you get there, when you follow it after your own stuff, and it's ended poorly because it will, you are blessed in the fact that Jesus is there with open arms. Knowing that the kingdom of God is not those things. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 